Hi, guys. We have an exciting merchandise update for you. We have a store opening in August with some super cool items that we're excited about. And we're going to get you details as soon as possible. Sometime in August, it's going to be opening. And as soon as we know the exact date, we'll let you know here and on social media. So be sure to keep an ear open. Squee! I'm Lauren, and I'm a veterinarian. I'm JJ, and I'm a veterinary technician. And you're listening to IntroVets, a veterinary podcast by introverts with high-functioning anxiety. Welcome, everybody, to IntroVets Podcast. Greetings. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Elena. Yay! She's been here before. We love her. We know her. She's great. And I have her little bio I'm going to read. So Elena is the lead internal medicine licensed veterinary technician at Huntsville Veterinary Specialist in Emergency. That's a lot of words. She graduated from Jefferson State Community College and became a licensed vet tech in Alabama in 2016. She also holds a bachelor's degree in animal science from Auburn University. And she is currently serving as the vice president of the Alabama Vet Tech Association. She likes and enjoys riding and showing horses, playing with her dogs, and traveling around the world with her family. Welcome, Elena. And Elena has brought a case for us today. Now, anytime we're doing a case, we present it anonymously. That means that the names and identifying information of the patients and the clients, and in some cases, the veterinarians, are changed to protect everyone's privacy. Miss Elena. Hey, guys. Take it away. So the case that I brought to you guys is a little different. Sherlock is a four-year-old male neutered miniature schnauzer who presented to the primary care veterinarian for straining to urinate and hematuria or blood in the urine. The owners had noted this for about a week and they went to the veterinarian. Upon presentation, he was okay. He was still bouncing around the room. A little bit of dehydration, not really much. The owner said that he wasn't having any vomiting or any diarrhea. The veterinarian did palpate his abdomen and he wasn't too painful, but he was just kind of like er, uncomfortable. Mm. So a little tense in the belly. Yes. Okay. Um, And anything else unusual or everything else was pretty normal? Vitals? Vitals were also normal. Okay. Um, maybe slightly tachycardic, um, hmm. 120 to 130, somewhere in that range. But they couldn't differentiate whether or not that was stress-induced or painfulness. Okay. So maybe painful, maybe just excited to be there. It is a schnauzer. <laughs> <laughs> Rude. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. All right. So now I need to put together a differential list. So differentials for straining to urinate, Uh, just as a side note, I need to tell you guys that when I was working on the literature review for this, I sort of had an existential crisis about how you pronounce the word. (laughs) No, I can't even say it. Strangeria. So I've always heard it called strangeria, almost like strange uria. Like that's how I've always heard people in the South pronounce it. And then I um, was watching a video and someone was like, Stranguria. And I was like, what? (laughs) So then I started looking it up in almost every like dictionary entry. It's like Stranguria. And I'm like, 
I have never heard it. So I, I'm going to say Strangeria because that's how I've always pronounced it. And you guys listening can send me, you know, comments about whether you think that that's the right way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I say it the same way too. Strangeria, <laughs> right? Like, I, Well, I'm not even strange. I say strang Uria? Stranguria. Strang, like as in... Uh, this like strang. Even... I got a ball like, strang. Like, no, like strangle. <laughs> like I'm strangling you. <laughs> I've got a guitar strang with a southern accent. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, Lord. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is <laughs> very interesting. I'm gonna, mm. you know, I'll just see where the, where the pronunciation falls. It might be like <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> in that documentary about the penguins penguins if you watch that episode he says penguin a different time each and every single time <laughs> penguins penguins anyway. okay <sighs> anyway so tons of differentials for straining to urinate Inflammation of the urinary tract. So that could be the bladder, what we call cystitis. That might be sterile or infectious. And if it's infectious, it could be bacterial or fungal in etiology. Urethritis, uh, inflammation of the urethra. We might have in a male dog prostatic disease. So cysts, prostatitis, which is inflammation of the prostate. Benign prostatic hyperplasia is possible, and prostatic neoplasia is possible, uh, even in neutered dogs. Neoplasia of the bladder or urethra, so a mass in the bladder or urethra, could cause these symptoms. One of my most favorite words in the entire world, balanopostitis, which is inflammation of the prepuce and the glans penis. It's just a fun thing to say, balanopostitis. Very good. (laughs) We might have <laughs> congenital abnormalities, okay? Uh, you know, in a dog this age, that'd be like a little weird to have like a urachal abnormality, but not impossible for us to see it for the first time, not not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, we could have uroliths, so stones in the bladder or the urethra, or both. And then urethral obstruction, something hiding out just in the urethra that's not a stone or a tumor. Uh, this is famously more common in cats who will get mucus plugs and things like that. And this isn't an exhaustive list, but it, I think, pretty much hits the high points. And so we'll say those are kind of our starter differentials. Well, I don't think we have any comments. Um, okay. You're not going to comment about balanopostitis? Well, I was going to say it put that song, um, and uh, this is from like 2000, but that Balamos or Balanos or whatever that song is. The... Oh, in Enrique Iglesias? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Bailamos. Bailamos. Yeah. <laughs> that got stuck in my head whenever you said that. Yeah. I can't um, handle that, JJ. I'm sorry. It's, okay. it's on a repeat loop in my head now. So. It is a great song. I love it. Mm. I have a Zumba routine for it. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough for, that's plenty of comments. That's enough for comments. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now we need to use our differential list to create a testing wish list or a diagnostics wish list. So for this, I think dividing it into initial stage and later stage diagnostics is a good idea. 
initial stage diagnostics. I mean, a urinalysis. We're having strain in to urinate. Blood in the urine seems logical. Mm-hmm. And then imaging of the bladder, urinary tract imaging. So we could do radiographs. We could do ultrasound. And then I'll also add on like maybe a urine culture belongs in the initial stage. Some people might argue with me and say that that would be a later stage thing, but we might throw it in there, especially if the urinalysis looks weird at all, if we have a reactive sediment. I mean, what's wrong with going ahead and getting it cooking? That takes a while. I know, especially if you already have like a cysto sample, you know, that's really gorgeous. You know, just send that on out. It's not too bad cost wise. Uh, and then later stage diagnostics, especially in a male dog, you might consider just passing a red rubber urinary catheter. It's typically super easy. If it's not, <laughs> then you have your answer is urethral obstruction. <laughs> it might require sedation, but I find that it often doesn't. Uh, most male dogs are very tolerant of this. Um, urethroscopy, that's literally using a flexible camera scope to go whoop up the urethra and take a look around. And then traumatic catheterization or other sampling uh, methods if we know to mass in the initial testing, maybe in the bladder or in the urethra. Um, But typically, we'll start with the initial stuff and just see what we get. So, Miss Elena, what did we find? They decided to go ahead and do radiographs. And they found some tiny little urolis all over in the bladder. So, urolis being stones. Okay. Yeah. Um. And so lots of them. Oh, yeah. Lots of them. Yeah. Okay. Found... In, in the bladder. Mm-hmm. Yep. In the bladder. No, okay. No urethral obstruction. That's good. Was noted. Did do a urinalysis. Noted blood in the urine, protein in the urine, which is to be expected. They did find crystals. And they noted also that the pH was a little bit on the acidic side. Could they... um determine anything about the type of crystal? Unfortunately, it was not noted. Okay, so just just non-specific Non-specific, crystals. yeah. Okay. All right. So we have uh, our partial answer here. <laughs> we Sounds like we got some stones in the bladder. Sounds like we need to adjust the differentials list. Absolutely. Okay, so in general types of uroliths that we can see in dogs, we've got struvite, calcium oxalate, silica, cysteine, and urate. Radio-opaque uroliths, those are the ones that are going to typically be visible on radiographs without using any contrast. Those are most commonly struvite, calcium oxalate, and silica. And then the other two types, cysteine and urate, are sometimes radiolucent, and we often need to use contrast uh, medium to find that on x-ray. However, They can occasionally be observed on x-ray, so we can't rule them out just because they're visible. So really, everything is in the running still. We need to know the type of stone that we're dealing with so that we can know how to manage it long term. And how we tell that is by sending it out for analysis. As a side note, when I was reading uh, about this case, I noticed that there was a warning about never placing stones in formalin as that can impact the composition results. So we'll just throw that in here before I forget to mention it. So what to do? Uh, We got to get the stones out to find out what they are, especially if the crystals that we saw in the urinalysis for some reason aren't definitive. We just can't tell what they are. 
So cystotomy, a surgery where we go into the bladder and remove the stones, would generally be the next recommended step. Now, there are some other options that can be pursued in cases, just depending on the situation, medical therapy, types of urohydropulsion, where (laughs) I'll kind of go into this a little bit later, but basically you just try to get the stone out using um, physics and (laughs) cystoscopic removal. So you can go up there with a scope and grab some of them. There are various types of lithotripsy where we literally break the stones up as well. But surgical removal via cystotomy is still probably the most prevalent practice simply due to the availability of equipment and training. Much of the time, these cases are handled in general practice and not referred to specialists. And in general practice, some of the special things like a urethroscope or um, lithotripsy you know, equipment, they're just not going to have that. Now, ideally, you would review all the options with the client, you know, before they make the decision. But I would say cystotomy is probably the most common situation that you're going to see. You're also going to have like an easier time of getting all the stones out via cystotomy than say, your uh, hydropulsion or with a with a scope, just because I don't know if I would want to pull stones on a male dog using a scope that just sounds really painful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some issues with it. You know, they, they have to be smooth stones. They can't be the jagged ones and they need to be small and some dog penises, <laughs> the scope just won't fit up there. You know, so. I, and I've had that before. Case case. <laughs> we've, we've had that before where it wasn't for stones, but it was for potential mass. And oh, yeah. they wanted to do a scope. And we were thinking, oh, it's a bigger dog. Well, it was no beast dog. Oh, no. So he might be a bigger dog, but his um his, his penis doesn't match the rest of his body. Oh, dear. So the scope was just too big to fit up there. And we had to refer him out. Because so yeah. sad. Oh, Poor guy. No. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so embarrassing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I agree. I I think I just do would do cystotomy. I mean, I've tried to do avoiding uh, urohydropulsion before, where you you know get the dog uh, completely asleep and you get them all floppy and relaxed. You distill saline up into the bladder and you literally like shake the dog and then express the bladder and try to get the stones to come out. And I I think I got a few of them, but I wasn't able to get them all. And it was taking forever. And I was like, I could have had the dog on and off the table by now if we did, you know, like just done a cystotomy. I think the only time that you could do that is if they actually had like a, a blockage and you pulsed it back into the bladder to to get it unblocked and then you're like okay time for surgery and and that way you can just easily get it all out what the procedure that you're talking about is uh retroflexion that's right and so then that's a little bit of a different procedure where you literally do flush the stone back up into the bladder and then go get it either with a scope or with um surgery surgery being the most common way so those are the two types So I have plans to kind of review a little bit more about the options later in the episode. So we'll pause there and kind of pick up that conversation in just a little bit. But Elena, what did the owners decide for this case? 
well, these are wonderful owners and they decided this dog needed surgery. So they went ahead and pursued a cystotomy. Um, they were able to collect all of the stones and the patient recovered well from surgery. They submitted uroliths to the College of Veterinary Medicine in Minnesota. They have a urolith center and they send it for evaluation. And the composition results were 100% ammonium urate. So these are urate stones. Sweet. So what are urate uroliths and what causes them? So urate stones form when there is a high concentration of uric acid or it's associated with salts in the urine. Anything that increases the amount of uric acid in the urine can create these urate stones. In dogs, the most common causes are liver disease, inherited disorder, or a urinary tract infection with urease-producing bacteria. Urate urolists account for 5 to 8% of urolists in dogs. Some studies have suggested that urate urolists are becoming less common. And so when it's liver disease, what we're talking about there is an increased risk of urolith, uh, urate urolith formation due to decreased conversion of ammonia to urea and decreased conversion of uric acid to allantoin by the enzyme hepatic uricase. The most common reason for liver disease to create uroliths in dogs is in cases of portosystemic shunts. Uh, actually, in one study of dogs with extrahepatic portosystemic shunts, 35% of those dogs had uroliths, and 94% of the dogs that had uroliths had urate stones. So it's fairly common in dogs with portosystemic shunting. And then the other things that could cause this that are liver related are liver cirrhosis and microvascular dysplasia. Uh, so if you see this in dogs and they have liver issues, it doesn't mean portosystemic shunt right off the bat, but a PSS would be the number one reason that we would see it. But when it's genetic, it's because of a gene mutation in the SLC2A9 gene. It has been documented in several breeds. Dalmatian is kind of the most widely recognized uh, dog that can have this genetic mutation. Other breeds that the mutation has been recognized in include English Bulldog, Black Russian Terrier, Spanish Water Dog, Australian Shepherd, Parson Russell Terrier, and the New Zealand Huntaway, which I thought was a super cool name of a dog and have never heard of that before. <laughs> there is a decreased ability in these dogs to transport uric acid into the liver cells, and this leads to decreased conversion of uric acid to allantoin and therefore increased excretion of uric acid into the urine. And then the final way, as Elena mentioned, is if you have a UTI with urease-producing bacteria. Now, this is much less common than the other two causes, but is still a possibility. And some of the species that are sort of notorious for this are staph and proteus species. There may be others. But those are the two that I found in the literature as most associated with the production of urease. But it's important to note that not all staph and proteus uh, infections will be with the urease-producing strains. So what is uric acid and why is it in the body? Okay, so uric acid is formed by the breakdown of purines. Purines come from the diet, like when you eat organ meats or seafood. And they also come from endogenous cellular turnover. So that basically means your body breaking down old cells it doesn't need anymore. Just part of a natural cell death process. 
purines are broken down into hypoxanthine, which is then oxidized to form xanthine, and then xanthine is further oxidized to form uric acid. Uric acid is then normally converted to allantoin by hepatic urease, that liver enzyme. Allantoin is more soluble in the urine than uric acid is. But in patients who can't make this transition from uric acid to allantoin very well, either because their liver is diseased or because of the genetic mutation we discussed, the uric acid is excreted in the urine and it crystallizes into urate salts. What clinical signs are associated with urate stones? Sometimes patients are completely asymptomatic, so it can be an incidental finding. The most common clinical signs involve the lower urinary tract, so hematuria, blood in the urine, palachiuria, going small amounts, strangeuria, straining to urinate, <laughs> and dysuria, which just means urinating weirdly. Vomiting, anorexia, and lethargy have also been reported. Sometimes patients present with urethral obstruction or ureteral obstruction. In patients with urethral obstruction, signs may be severe and are similar to what we see in blocked cats. And we have covered blocked cats in depth in season two. The episode is 2.2 right meow, if you want to go listen to that. And then finally, in patients with liver disease creating their urate stones, uh, you might see clinical signs associated with their liver disease. Are there any other predispositions for developing urate stones? Those with the gene mutation, as discussed earlier, are um, going to tend to have these urate stones. Other predisposed breeds include miniature schnauzer, shizu, and yorkie. However, these breeds are not known to have this genetic mutation. Urate stones can occur in both male and female. They're not sexist. <laughs> <laughs> and then the average age of a diagnosis is usually between three to five years of age. And often these dogs who have urate stones are a result of portosystemic shunts, are usually young, younger than three. Yeah. Okay. Well, so in this dog, in our case, we got a young dog. I mean, he is technically older than three, but he is still young, you know, so portosystemic shunt seems high. He's not one of the breeds that has the documented gene mutation, uh, but he does appear on the list of breeds that are predisposed for other reasons. <laughs> so that's suspicious. And when I look at those breeds, Schnauzer, Shizu, and Yorkie, I think, well, they don't have the gene mutation, but it sounds like dogs that are predisposed to portosystemic shunts, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So do with that what you will. <laughs> So we talked a bit about diagnostics earlier, but let's go back and briefly review what sorts of test results we might see in a patient with urate stones. Okay, so we're talking about urate stones specifically. In blood chemistry profiles, we might not really see anything. If the urate stones are due to liver dysfunction, we might note changes on the chemistry profile that are suggestive of liver pathology but it kind of depends on how severe the underlying liver issue has become. In patients with urethral or ureteral obstruction from their stones, azotemia, elevated BUN and creatinine, and electrolyte abnormalities may be present like we see in cats that have a urethral obstruction. On urinalysis, ammonium urate crystals might be seen. They are a yellow-brown color, and the shape has been described as like a thorny apple. Um, or they could just be spherical. 
And we might see blood in the urine, white blood cells in the urine, protein in the urine, and sometimes we see bacteria in the urine. On imaging, uh, you can see them on x-ray, as we talked about earlier, but they might not show up. If you have a dog that has urate stones because of liver dysfunction, you might, as an incidental finding, see a small liver on x-ray as well. Contrast radiography of the bladder improves our ability to detect urate stones with radiographs, but abdominal ultrasound is ideal. It's better for detection of uroliths, just in general, any type of urolith, than radiographs. Though radiographs are better at detecting the shape and number of uroliths present, ultrasound is better at detecting small or radiolucent stones. False negatives occur 3-5% to of the time with ultrasound, but as often as 27% of the time with radiographs alone. Now on ultrasound, you might also see liver changes if the urate stones are due to hepatic dysfunction. Uh, Cystoscopy, we briefly mentioned earlier, going up the urethra with a camera. Elena mentioned some of the pros and cons of that (laughs) with regard to (laughs) dog size. We can detect presence of uroliths in the urethra or bladder. Uh, And you can also remove small uroliths this way. Urate stones do tend to be round to oval and smooth, which facilitates removal with cystoscopy, but they do have to be on the small side for that to work. And the dog has to be on the big side. (laughs) Not obese, like he has to be not obese. And not obese. And not obese. (laughs) Okay, so, (laughs) so, so qualification one, small stone. Two, larger size dog. Three, dog not obese. Correct, Mundo. <laughs> Four, larger penis size. <laughs> I mean, look. Uh, what, are, what are you going to do? What a wish list. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so what about urine culture? Yeah, urine culture is always going to be recommended whenever you find urolis. There's going to be some sort of bacteria. It could be, but most unlikely they're going to have some sort of UTI. And you can actually send the stones themselves for culture as well. So send half to Minnesota and then the other half to, you know, whatever laboratory that you're using and culture it. How are your eight stones treated? Okay. Well, generally the goal is to get rid of the stones and to treat any concurrent UTI, plus then prevent future stone formation if that's possible. So medical dissolution, uh, technically possible, Obviously not something that you would want to do if you have a urethral obstruction, That, like that's more urgent of a situation. There have been reports of people dislodging uh, stuck stones, as Elena was mentioning earlier, flushing them back up into the bladder and then trying to dissolve them with medical therapy. But there is a high chance of reobstruction with that. I personally would not recommend medical dissolution if a pet has already blocked once. To me, it's less likely to work. It's also less likely to work in patients with underlying hepatic disease. And then when medical dissolution is attempted, dietary change is really the main cornerstone of therapy. The goal is to reduce urinary excretion of uric acid and ammonium ions to create a more alkaline urine and to increase the urine volume. So we change them to a low-protein diet to reduce the purines that have to be broken down And we went through that process earlier that would ultimately reduce the amount of uric acid being released into the urine. We would want to avoid fish and organ meats because of the purines. There are several commercially available prescription diets designed for this issue. So feeding one of those seems like a no-brainer. 
and then feeding a canned version of the diet or adding water to diets that are dry to create more urine volume is recommended. We want to target a urinary pH of 7 to 7.5, and that can be achieved with the addition of potassium citrate or sodium bicarbonate. And then lastly, the drug allopurinol, which is a xanthine oxidase inhibitor, can help dissolve urate uroliths. Uh, it is used in conjunction with dietary modification because there is a risk of xanthine uroliths developing when it's used alone. And you don't want to use this in patients that have a portosystemic shunt. In one study of dogs with urate stones who ate a prescription diet designed for urate stone dissolution and were treated with allopurinol as well, 36% had complete stone dissolution without any other therapy, 32% had partial dissolution, and 32% did not dissolve. Dissolution typically takes four to eight weeks, uh, but cases have been reported of dissolution um, that took three to four months. Next, we got physically removing the stones. So that's recommended when obstruction is present, if medical therapy has been tried and fails, or if there are significant clinical signs associated with the uroliths. Your options are going to include some of the things that we talked about before surgery, so cystotomy going into the bladder. If it's stuck in the urethra, you might have to go into the urethra with the urethrotomy. Or if you have a ureterolith, sometimes you actually go in surgically into the ureter to remove that. But going into the ureter surgically has become less common as other techniques have emerged over time. Overall, cystotomy has a low complication rate, and so it's probably still preferred as we discussed earlier. I already talked about voiding urohydropulsion, but yeah, essentially you flush saline into the bladder, shake the dog, and try to express the stones out. It's best for stones less than five millimeters. That's a pretty small stone and not indicated for cases of urethral obstruction. And cystoscopy, which we touched on already. Lithotripsy, I'll just say a few things about that. You do have to have some specialized equipment. Urethral size of male dogs might prevent use of the scope, as we talked about earlier, and that would be important in laser lithotripsy. And you can use extracorporeal shockwave lithotripsy for uroliths in the kidney or the ureter. And then they just pee them out, theoretically. <laughs> so once they've been treated, how likely are urate stones to reoccur? It's pretty high. The reoccurrence is a pretty high rate. 33 to 50% usually occur within a year of previous therapy. That's thumbs down. Sad That's face. Math. Sad face emoji. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty high recurrence, right? Oh, yeah. dear. Yeah. Rude. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what other tests should be considered in a dog with documented urate stones? Well, um, genetic testing for the SLC2A9 mutation is available. You could also consider testing to investigate liver function, so like bile acids, additional imaging, uh, you know, radiographs, ultrasound to start portal scintigraphy and liver biopsy in a dog that just has urate stones and is otherwise like super fine and not other symptoms. I'd probably start with like the most benign <laughs> of those tests, which is probably like bile acids. If we haven't already done just general lab work and things like that. Yeah. So what happened in our case after the diagnosis of urate stones? So in this case, the culture of the urine 
and the urolis were negative. So the presence of uric acid producing bacteria is unlikely to be the cause of the urate stones in this particular case. Bile acids were performed upon request of Minnesota. So when you get, when you send stuff to the urolis center, they actually have a list of different diagnostic tests to do. And that was one of the tests that they had recommended. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's the really cool thing about Minnesota is that they gives you a list of what it could be and diagnostics and stuff like that. Yeah. And and not just for urate stones, when I've gotten reports back for them for even just struvite, they send yes. like 15 pages of stuff and they're like, look, here's exactly what to do. It's, it's really helpful. <laughs> yeah. It goes over nutrition, like diet and stuff like that. It's really cool. So I, we, we love using it in our practice for sure for any, for any urolith case. In this case, they did do bile acids and it was so high. <laughs> I, I I think this is probably one of the highest bile acid tests that I had seen in a while. I think it was it was in the hundreds pre and post. Woo, girl. Yeah, it was okay. significant. So did the printer high. just bring out a picture of Willie Nelson? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, JJ. <laughs> that was a good one. I love that. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> It did. Please don't be high. Yeah. It's high. And Snoop Dogg appears. Right. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So when 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 bile acids are high, it's it, it's usually indicating that there is some sort of liver dysfunction. Uh oh, skis. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uncool. Um what happened next? So the primary care veterinarian was like, I don't like this. This needs to go see a specialist. It's probably Fair. a portal systemic shunt. Okay. And so the patient was referred to an internal medicine specialist for further evaluation. Well, I think that's reasonable. I mean, here we've got a schnauzer. We've got you know, a young dog, we've got the urate stones. We know from the information we just reviewed that in young dogs who have this because of a liver issue, the most common cause is a portosystemic shunt. And then we've got bile acid elevations, which is like a red flag for a liver not working 100% well. Um, so I think, you know, putting portosystemic shunt as the top differential is very reasonable. There are some other differentials still on the table, but that certainly would take the top position for me right now. And the we need to look for it in ways that are not often available in private practice or not often available in general practice. So I think a referral in this situation sounds like a good plan to me. Punt. <laughs> Punt. Exactly. Yes, it's a stress buster right there. <laughs> okay, well. Uh, that is going to bring us to a cliffhanger ending for this episode because there is no chance that we can finish the workup and go through everything that we need to do for bile acids and things like that to fully appreciate all the reasons that bile acids might be elevated and to thoroughly review our differentials and testing options. I think it would probably take another hour. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to have another episode. So Elena is going to join us next week. She will be back 
to tell us what happened next. Dun, dun, dun. We're going to Sarah mm-hmm. J. Mass, you guys. That's if you guys, right. <laughs> if you guys read those books. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we have like a few minutes left. And a surprise. I have a surprise for Elena. Oh, no. Shall I send it? Yes. JJ is going to text you a photo to your phone right now. Oh, boy. Okay. okay. You ready? Ready. Hold on. I turn. Oh, shoot. I turned my phone off. You turned your phone off. (laughs) (laughs) You turned the phone off. I did. That's my mistake. I was respecting your podcast. (laughs) All right. That's fine. Leave it in. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Go for it. Okay. JJ is sending you the photo. (laughs) I need you to describe what it says for the audience. (laughs) Okay. So it's. A tote bag. Yeah. It, it, it's an introvert's merch tote bag. And it says my other bag is a primordial <laughs> pouch. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, accurate. You're going to have to explain what that is. I don't know if everybody's going to know what that is. <laughs> We've talked about primordial pouch on the podcast before in the high rise syndrome episode because it's the extra flap of uh, tissue that kitties oh, have between their tummy and their legs. To prevent them from hitting. Yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah. That's what parachute. they... Ex- it's their parachute. It's their parachute. <laughs> they extend like a flying squirrel and float <laughs> rapidly through the air. I need one. I need this. So, okay. So, here's the thing. I need you to, to, to evaluate this. So, I made the primordial pouch design, okay? My other bag is a primordial pouch. 10 out of 10. I love the way that it has ended up. Okay, it's amazing. But here is the other design that I made that got voted off the island. Oh, no. Are you going to send me that one now? No, uh, I don't have a mock-up of that one because we decided we were only going to release the one bag because, well, let me just tell you what the other design was and you tell me whether you get, whether it's funny or you're like, I don't understand what that means. Okay. Okay. So it said, primordial pouch. This kind of thing is my bag, baby. She doesn't get it. <laughs> JJ was right. Is it like, is it like dark face. humor? It's Austin Powers. Who? Uh, <laughs> so you know made long penis and larger pumps. This kind of thing is my bag, baby. A book by Austin Powers. No? Yeah. No. Look. My mom thought that it was funny as shit, but she and I <laughs> have watched Austin Powers like a lot. I I sent it to JJ and she was like, huh? no one is going to get that. That is a deep Aww. cut. And I was I, like, that is sad. I, I, I didn't say it so meanly. I, that was a nice way, I think, of saying it. Right? <laughs> Carl was like, no. He laughed. He, was, he knows Austin Powers. He laughed and he was like, he was like, <laughs> no. He, no, I think I need was, to like rewatch Austin Powers. I only got like <laughs> snippets from when I was like twelve watching that, and I don't remember. Oh I don't God. think I've watched it since. So, well, like, and the one that I watched is the one with Beyonce. Oh, that's mm, yeah, that's no, like the that's, third one. Isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. not as great. I mean, I love Beyonce, but that third one was not as good. But when I told Carl, I was like, "Here are the options." He was he was like, "No, you need to do this first one, the one that we ended up releasing." And I was like. Mm-hmm. But this is fucking hilarious. And he was like, then get it printed on a bag for you. But babe, no one is going to get that. And I'm like, but I don't understand it. And he said, 
I need you to hear me. Austin Powers, that movie, it came out 26 years ago. <gasps> and I had a, I had a little freak out. Oh, no. I was like, I was like oh. no, no, it didn't. And he was like, yeah. yeah it's, it's your Bill Murray almost, moment. <laughs> it's uh, been almost 30 years. Have you ever like scrolled through TikTok or Instagram reels and they, you know, go through songs that you're like, yeah, this is the hit and whatever. And then they're like, it was 20 years ago. Absolutely. Or like when they have uh, like, ki- you know, kids of the 90s or kids of the 2000s yes. and you stand on the different sides if you know the song. And every right. song I'll be like, I can sing that just from memory. And right. there are bunches of people who are just like, I've never heard of any of these. And I'm like, oh, my God, what? I'm getting super old. Mm. Yep. I have this conversation a lot in in the clinic. We do have like, I've I've now gotten to the age where I'm more managerial Mm -hmm. and I have a lot of younger people like a lot of younger assistants and LVTs and I will reference something and my my boss will get it um (laughs) but um I reference it to them and they're like I have no idea right have no idea what you're talking about it makes me feel so old and I'm not welcome to my world I am old. (laughs) It's definitely a strange sensation, that's for sure. I don't know today's lingo anymore. I thought I was the hip, cool one, but no, I had to ask what sus meant. I was like, like, somebody said, oh, that's real sus. Like suspicious, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like, what do you mean sus? Suspicious. Yeah. I only know that one from TikTok. Well, I did now. I was working <laughs> I was working at a clinic uh this past weekend actually and uh someone that I've like a technician that I've worked with several times and she was talking about different things and then she said something something because I'm 19 and I was like what <laughs> well, I'm sorry what are you 19 years old <laughs> she's living and I'm like Oh my god! Like she was, oh like she god. was born after the year two thousand. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's insane I can't to deal me. with that. I don't understand. Mm-mm. I can't. Mm-mm. When you have clothing that are older than your coworkers, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, so let's talk about briefly some sources for this episode. So the main source for today was the. Venn chapter on urate urolithiasis. I will put the full citation in the show notes and on social media as always. And then the next episode, the part two, is going to have a lot, a lot of sources. So I'm going to hold off on reading those until we get to the end of that one, (laughs) for sure. Well, I think that's pretty much everything on my docket, unless you guys want to do a favorite thing real quick. Like, we have time for a quick one. Like, our personal favorite things? That's right. Uh, My favorite thing right now is that I am listening to a genre of music that I haven't really listened to since I was in high school. And it's slightly making me feel younger again. Even though it's, like, it's today's music. Like, it's from today. But it's a different genre. No. (laughs) No. What is it? 
You forget that I used to be an emo girl. Oh dear! Yeah. yeah. Uh, what what is the what is the name? Alternative rock. It's it's like metalcore. Metalcore. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I, I don't know. I just like saw it on TikTok, and I was like, "Oh, this is metalcore!" Like my husband listens to it, and I'm not that into it. But this this particular band, I'm like, "Yeah, let's do it." And now it's like my entire personality for this week. What's the band? It's called Sleep Token. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it's a good band name. It, it is. And they're British. And we don't oh. know who they are. They wear masks. Oh. So you have no mm. idea who they are. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. You have no idea who they are at all. Like you, you don't know like They're their name. Anonymous. No, the singer's name is Vessel. The bassist is two. The guitarist is three, and the drummer is four. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Elena rocks. <laughs> I don't. I I don't know how close metalcore is to like heavy metal. Is it similar or different? yeah, yeah? It's it's it's, it's definitely yeah. It's heavy. It's heavy metal. It's not like. Oh, uh, it's like the emo version of, of heavy metal. Okay. Yeah. When I think of emo, I think of like evanescence. Is that where we're headed or no? No, it's more, no. Uh, it's like slightly screamo. Screamo. Okay. Slightly. Like there's, no, this band is not full on screamo. Like if it was full on screamo, I'd be like, no, thank you. But it's just like, it's got like jazz in between it. And then it's got like, but some of the music is, all right, this might be too graphic. But it's like baby making music. Ooh, all right. <laughs> so it's got some funk in it. Yes, That's definitely yeah. not too graphic. It's, for it's this podcast. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> but I'm like, I listen to it. I'm like, mm, yeah, mm, yes, and then it screams right in the middle. Graphic, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord. Oh boy, one of my favorite videos on TikTok is <laughs> like say. <laughs> Say someone has a video where they drop something and they scream, or there's like a husky that's just like, wah, 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 mm -hmm. and then different people have stitched it with like drums and guitar and the whole thing over it. So it'll be like, here is the music, and then they'll all pause, and the person will be like, wah, or the mm -hmm. dog will be like, wah, 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 and then they'll start up again. And I absolutely love it. I could watch those videos all day. I love those too. <laughs> okay, JJ. Favorite, favorite thing. thing for you? Um, my favorite thing is um, a friend of mine told me about this place called Dog Splash. <laughs> we took our new puppy there, and um, she got to have some fun learning how to swim. Well, she kind of knew how, but we, we, you know, teased her to get with some cookies to come down the little dock, and she hit that water and was swimming like a freaking pro. What? So, um, and you can get in the water with them. And um, it's uh, super fun. So I've like booked some more sessions because um, I'm excited. So and she slept for like five hours straight when she got home, which is the did. best because girlfriend is busy. So <laughs> I, do, I do that with my kid too. put him into the pool for like uh -huh. two hours and he comes back home and he sleeps for five hours. It's the most amazing Wonderful. thing ever. Yes. Yeah, we're we're our our entire existence right now is what can we do to wear out the puppy? So wow. yes, um, and I, I can get in the pool and I can get my little exercise on in the pool too. 
It's going to be fun. So that, that was my favorite thing. Fantastic. Okay, I guess my favorite thing is that I have completed my second round of boards exams and have passed them. Woohoo! So that means that I don't have to take any more boards before I graduate in <laughs> December. She's and so I have 100%. them all out of the way. That's right. Official. That's right. I just got to finish my clinical hours in my last class and I'll be all set. Yay! That's so awesome. that's pretty big. Yeah, I'm excited mm-hmm. about it. It was worth it. Uh, I had to put in a lot of work last summer to be able to set myself up to take those early uh, so that I could have like a less insane like summer this summer and fall. And so it was a smart decision. (laughs) That's got to be like relieving, you know, for sure to to get Mm -hmm. this far and pass it. And now it's just smooth sailing until December. I mean, that's got to be a really good feeling. Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. If I hadn't have done it early, I would have just taken one and then I would still have one more left to go in the middle of trying to get everything ready to like graduate and open a business and like, all. I mean, it's going to anyway. So it would just be like a whole thing. But I'm so excited. Congratulations. <laughs> that's so awesome. Yay. Yay. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, that is about all the time we have for today. Be sure to join us next week as we continue the case with Elena to figure out what happened with our schnauzer friend. As always, if you have questions, cases, or anything else you'd like for us to read, please send it to introvetspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can submit cases on the case submission link on our website. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook. Where are we? Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Correct. And it's at introvets. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. Show do. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.